spreading Cajun across the nation, pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review, made by the fans for the fans. Cajun Nation, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate. Welcome to Region Review. Matt Miguez here, joined by Man About Town, Josh Jagno and Jerry Abair. We're going bowling. Plenty to talk about with that as the Cajuns play UTSA in the Surf Pro First Responder Bowl this Saturday. Um, also, plenty to talk about around the Sun Belt, especially, you know, teal and black and whatever other colors they, they claim to have, just like other things they claim to be. But we'll, we'll get into that later. Gentlemen, welcome in. Happy Tuesday morning to you. How are you? Doing awesome, man. Glad to uh, glad to have something fun to talk about. A lot of chaos over the last week, so I can't, get, I can't wait to get to it. Yeah, you know. Yeah. You know, obviously the big news that happened yesterday – uh, Billy Napier was obviously top of the list to take over the Auburn Tigers, but uh, he 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 decided to to turn it down. Um, I was I was pleasantly surprised by this because you know my thought process, a school like Auburn, why the hell wouldn't you go? Yeah, um, I, I'm I'm still kind of surprised. Uh, I'm ecstatic. But I'm still kind of surprised why he would turn that down. Um, you know, Auburn was the first job really offered to him that had a shot at that, – that's a program that we know can win national championships or at least compete for national championships. I mean, if you look at their history, um, you know, over the past decade, uh, they've been to two national championships and they've won one. Um, and they've competed for SEC titles. And uh, it's a very respectable program in the SEC. Uh, I probably, I mean, I would definitely put in the top 25 of, that, of of college football programs in the country. And so um, for him to turn down that job uh, is a huge, I mean, it's, first of all, it's a huge compliment to our program. Because if there was something wrong with our program or if there was something off about our program, he would leave. Um, and the leadership that we have here um, probably played a huge role in him wanting to stay. And then, of course, we're going to get into the conversation, but sometimes at bigger schools, uh, politics tend to get in the way to not allow certain people in certain positions to do their job. And I think that had a lot to do with it at Auburn. Um, when you really look at why Gus Malzahn was fired, I really don't think it was truly the athletic director who fired him. I think it was the, the two or three large boosters who said, we'll, we'll buy him out for half of what the buyout was, which is around... I think the full buyout was $21 million, and half of that was around 10 or 11 And so when you have that type of influence at a program and boosters are making the decisions, that raises a red flag for many coaches. Uh, they look at that, and you know, regardless of how attractive the job may be, if they don't have autonomy, then you know, how can they do their job? How can they work? How can they achieve what they want to achieve in their own way using their formula without somebody interfering or sticking their hand in the cookie jar or sticking their hand where it doesn't belong. And I think that's one thing that Billy Napier saw the other day at the interview when, you know, there's rumors 
spreading that they're telling him what coaches, you, you know, oh, we'll give you the job, but you have to hire this coach or you have to do this. You have to do that. You know, Billy Napier comes from Dabo Sweeney, the Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban's tree, where both Dabo and Nick Saban, you know, especially Nick Saban, he did it when he got to LSU and he did it when he got to Alabama to where he said, look, I'm coming here to do my job. I'm coming here to win games. I will satisfy your expectations, but, you know, what's in it for me? I need you guys to leave me alone and let me do my job. You know, Alabama, believe it or not, is probably worse than Auburn when it comes to the politics of the boosters and how much influence they have. But, you know, when Saban got there, Alabama was a, a subpar 500 team that was looking for that winning condition. And when he got there, he straight up, I'm sure he told him, leave me alone, let me do my job. And they've let him. And since then, he will go down as one of the, if not one of the greatest coaches in college football, but six national titles uh, at Alabama. So I think Billy not wanting to go really, really, really shows me that, number one, the politics is strong there. And number two, we've got a really good well-oiled machine that we're building up here in Louisiana to where he wants to be part of that ride and, and, and make sure that he puts us in an even better position than we are now to where next time he can leverage himself for a great job, another Auburn possibility, because I think he's going to get it really, really soon. I would say a lot of the same, uh, there's so much to say about this entire thing, but I'll start with the positives for Louisiana. I said this on the social sites and I'll say it here. Never underestimate the power of a good boss and a high quality of life. And I'm telling you guys, the Napiers love it here. Brian Maggard is a great person to work for. He gives Billy everything he asks for from a resource standpoint. He keeps the man happy. He supports his coach. He's a class act in public in the way that he goes about his business. And, uh, you know, apparently Napier likes T. Joe as well. So that's something to be really excited about going forward, regardless of who the coach is. But I'll say this. Don't think that that didn't play a role in Billy turning down yet another SEC job. Now, we know we have a winner here. We have a ready-made winner. Uh, depending on who comes back, we could we might be better next year than we were this year. So that's got to also be in the back of Billy's mind. But Billy has great mentorship. He, he's got Dabo on speed dial. He's got Nick Saban on speed dial. He's got the best agent in college football, really in sports, Jimmy Sexton. These guys know what they're doing. He's not going to take a job that three years down the road, he, he, he's losing one or two games a year, uh, and he gets fired and has to restart his career all over again. He's a young coach. He's got championship pedigree. He has all the ingredients. He checks all the boxes. He doesn't have to jump at an Auburn. He doesn't have to jump out of South Carolina. Now, I'll say this. South Carolina, personally, I lost sleep over that because of the proximity to his family, his hometown. Uh, and, you know, there's rumors around the building that he has actually said South Carolina, NC State was going to be the two jobs that he would love to take. Whatever happened there, I think there was a lowball salary situation. We don't really know. Um, I, lost, I lost sleep over that way more than Auburn. I'm not all that surprised that he didn't take Auburn. And I'll tell you why. It's a lot what Jerry said. Uh, they've had three coaches in eight years. Gene Chizik won a national championship, and two years later, he was out on his ass. Who would ever want to work for an institution that doesn't appreciate winning uh, at that level? You're going to have to go through Nick Saban. I understand that. Uh, it's a powerhouse. But, I mean, my God, Gus Malzahn never had a losing season. Matt said that in the pre-show. You know, I, I personally don't, see a guy like Billy Napier, I mean, you can 
compare it to a Fortune 500 company, like I usually say. Why on earth would I leave a place where I have high quality of life, full autonomy, a community that worships me, reveres me, um, people that really appreciate what I've done for their community, to go to a place like Auburn where I can go literally 10 and 1, you know, compete for an SEC championship, but if I lose to Saban, I'm a bum. I, I just, guys, I, I don't see, uh, all, I, well, I'm not surprised. I can see how a lot of people think Auburn's the brand, Auburn is the, the uh, SEC power that all these folks recognize as, as a, you know, a household name. I understand those things. The truth of the matter is, behind the scenes, a guy like uh, Billy Napier or any really well-respected uh, and well-reasoned coach would, would go way beyond, oh, I don't, you know, I have the Auburn Tiger on my shirt. I think Billy Napier's got his sight set a lot higher. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, go ahead, Matt. I, I, I would hope to agree with you. And, you know, while we're on this subject, you know, being, being Rage and Review and being the high-profile people that we are, we have exclusive audio of the Billy Napier interview with Auburn. Take a listen. Hello. Is this Billy Napier? How are you doing today? This is the powers to be at Auburn University. And I, it has come to my attention that you have interviewed very well for the position of head coach at Auburn University. Now, ho, oh, oh, what's that? Now, 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 ah, Billy, ah, now this is your first day. We want to start this on the right foot. Now, listen, we talk, you, ah, ah, we talk, you listen, then you say what we say, okay? All right, now let's get down to your offer. It's come to my understanding that you were making $880,000 at Louisiana. We would like to offer you the substantial raise of $880,004 to coach at Auburn. All right. Now, next, we also would like to offer you unlimited Waffle House at any one of these fine establishments in the Lee County lines. That's right. We've got you scattered, smothered, and covered. Mm-hmm. Yes, the seat has been vacated. Mm-hmm. And last but not least... We would also like to pick your entire staff, tell you where to live, what to wear, and what to say. Therefore, you may only focus on Jimmy's and Joe's. Leave us the X's and O's. How's that sound? Hello? Hello? All right, boys. One down, two to go. Oh, my God. That's... So incredibly accurate. That down. <laughs> that, that's so incredibly accurate. Hey, listen, our, our, our crack investigation staff that was able to deliver that audio, uh, they need a raise. Yeah. No, no, no question. Shout out to Philip Dukes at Dukes the Scoop on Twitter for that awesome content there. Uh, you know, he actually has his own podcast about Auburn. It's called Trust the Scoop. Uh, so check that out on on Twitter and, and his YouTube channel as well. Uh, dude's hilarious. And, and you know, the, the, the sad part is that, you know, we're laughing is, is the fact that that, that actually sounds accurate yeah. um, of how the meeting probably went down. That You know, surfing on the Auburn message boards and their fan forums over the past 24 hours, 
there's a common common knowledge and a common perception amongst their fan base that they know that their board and their boosters have way too much influence, a little bit more influence than other bigger schools that decide their coaches to the extent where, you know, they're, they feel embarrassed. Like the, the perception is that they feel embarrassed because it's at the point now where, look, Sarkeesian has turned down the job. I believe uh, Venables has turned down the job. Billy Napier has turned down the job. Bill Clark had no interest in the job. I mean, people left and right are turning down the job because of that influence. So, you know, let this be a wake-up call to the big boosters at Auburn University to be aware that if you had too much influence on somebody, and that's any job, that's not even a coach's job, that's any job, uh, that, you know, if you, you try to interfere too much, um, you're not going to attract a big name. You're not going to attract someone regardless of how much money you throw out there. And, and that's another thing I want to bring up to add what, to what Josh said. Um, about uh, quality of living or quality of life. You know, there's a lot of perception, especially amongst SEC fans. And every time I get in a conversation, they all say, well, of course you want to go to an SEC school because they pay you a lot more money. Well, Billy Napier, if you really think about it, he wanted to be a high school football coach. That was his dream job. He wanted to follow like father, like son, follow his dad's footsteps and be a high school football coach. So, he never, money was never really a huge factor for Billy. And it's still really, it is, but it isn't. That's not the number one thing he's looking at is he's not chasing money. And, you know, this perception of him wanting to make all, you know, oh, if he goes to the SEC, he's going to make three or four times the salary. I mean, that's great, but he's making almost a million dollars in Lafayette. Take away the coach, take away the coaching job, take away the coaching profession, take away college football. Let's, let's put it in black and white. If you're making a million dollars while living in Lafayette, Louisiana, okay, just think about it. Think about it like this. You're making a million dollars living in Lafayette, Louisiana. Are you going to go poor? Are you really going to go poor? Um, I mean, you so should. I think people, well, what I'm saying is people need to pull back the reins a little bit and realize it's not all about money with, with Billy. I mean, it's not like he's making $100,000 here at UL and – struggling he's making almost a million dollars a year he's got a young family the quality of life in Lafayette is second to none um so he's going to take his time on this on this job search Jerry I would interject with this you know what's more important than money and to speak from experience a happy wife oh my god and his and his wife is extremely satisfied with her situation and their children's situation here in Lafayette but you know just to kind of compound on your your thoughts i would you have to also understand this guy just racked up an enormous amount of money on his incentives this year top 25 you know a sbc championship et cetera, et cetera. i mean the guy's making over a million dollars and he's happy with it i promise you i'm not saying that money is not important don't get me wrong but here's the thing about money there is a point of diminishing return and i think billy understands that when you have the interest and and the passion of a fan base that's great when you have a fan base that runs your program, that is not great because people like that people, people, big money donors like Auburn have, and a lot of these other SEC programs have, they make emotional decisions. And when you have a guy that has a ton of money that can just make the decisions that he wants to make, that is a dangerous recipe. Again, three coaches in eight years, one, won a national championship and they, they can't hire assistance off of P five program. So that tells me a lot of what I need to know. And it probably, had an impact on Billy and Jimmy Sexton on 
how are they going to take this job? You know, there's rumors that South Carolina lowballed him with salary. And I mean, really, it, I think it was like $2.7 million over three years or something. Or maybe it was $2.7 million for three, for three years uh, per year. I'm not exactly sure on the number, but it was really a slap in the face if you compare it to other SEC salaries. Um, the reports out of Auburn, uh, this is out of their local media, is that autonomy was the issue with Auburn and Billy. Billy wanted to be able to bring his staff or hire his staff, and Auburn told him no. You know, when, now again, we don't know if it's 100% true, but lots of people are reporting that. So, you know, it's so much more than money. It's so much more than uh, just the football. It's fit. It's, it's, these people are professionals. They're like anybody. They're, they're like an accountant, a lawyer. The town's got to fit. The system that they're going to run, the people that they're going to work with, like it's all got to make sense. And for a guy like Billy, the world is his oyster. He doesn't need to, to acquiesce on any of these things. He can pick his situation. That's what's so great about having him in Louisiana. And again, how much credit goes to Maggard for seeing that, for seeing that a guy like Billy had the potential that he had and hiring him, snatching him up and doing everything he can, he, he could to this point uh, to keep him here. Oh my gosh. Uh, we, I don't know how, but you know, it's, it, it's when you see the leadership under Dr. Brian Maggard and, and you see how lucky we are to have him as an athletic director, especially, especially, and I, and, and also to give Dr. Sabwas credit as president to say, you know, when Dr. Maggard goes to him and says, Hey, we need this. And Dr. Sabwas says, well, let's get it. Let's get it going. Let's get the ball rolling here. When you have that level of leadership that is able to uh, overlook or look at the these type of situations, I mean it, that's that's huge, um, you know. And, and to have this type of leadership now at such a crucial time um, is is outstanding. And and I think, I, like you said, Josh, I think that had a lot to do with Billy Napier staying here. And um, I mean, think about it this way: Who would have thought? 20, 25 years ago when we were struggling to win games that our head coach would turn down the Auburn job. In a, in a million years, nobody would say that that would happen at Louisiana. Nobody would say we'd be ranked in the top 25. Nobody would say we would contend for a New Year's Six Bowl. It's actually kind of incredible how quickly things have turned in our favor. Now, some of it was um, good fortune here and there. Okay, don't get me wrong. I Look, COVID was uh, how do you even describe it? It was an historic year. It, it was upheaval. A lot of it, we benefited a lot from it. But at the same time, you take that and you pair it with Maggard and Tejo, understanding that the front porch of any university is athletics and it's going to raise the profile of any university. It's kind of like an incredible coupling event that took place here. And we're just very fortunate. We're very fortunate. You know, the other day I was watching the Big 12 Championship with uh, with my wife and and uh, Iowa State of course was going up against Oklahoma and of course we were all pulling for Iowa State and it's amazing um, when you talk about athletics being to the forefront and how it's the number one marketing tool and I keep saying that it is the number one marketing tool for universities unless you're like an Ivy League school or a military academy um, and you know the one of the play by play guys uh, in that Big Twelve championship game would bring up uh, you know they talk about well you know Iowa State trying to get in the college playoff, of course, their big loss. And, and he said it a few times with their loss to Louisiana, with their loss to Louisiana. Oh, they had that loss early on to Louisiana, that loss to Louisiana. You know, you this, this, the university might have gained a student or two just by watching that game, hearing that, you know. Um, I mean, when, when you mark, you, you cannot put a price tag on that marketing. When you see the college football playoff and 
regardless, and we're going to talk about this later about the G5, P5 talk and debate, but in spite of it being good news or bad news for the G5, when the name Louisiana Raging Cajuns, when that's brought up, that you can't put a price tag on that, regardless of if we got the shaft, if we got favoritism. When that when Louisiana is brought up, you I mean, again, you might have added one or two college students. You might have added oh, man. one or two kids around the country going, I want to go to that school. I want to be there. It'll be interesting to see the enrollment numbers in two years, to be able to look back on how this athletic season and look, we still have things coming up, but how this athletic season helped our numbers. And I mean, look, that's the goal of any university. And I would also say that nobody's really talking about this, but our early signing class is full of three stars, two uh, four, former four-star transfers. Like we would have five years ago, eight years ago, we would have dreamed to have a recruiting class like that in a typical offseason. We're doing this in the early signing period, and we still got about eight more kids or six more kids that are going to sign. It, yeah. it, what he's done and what he's built, uh, and look, it's been a team effort. It's been the staff. It's not just Philly. Uh, but what they've done is nothing short of amazing, especially in a place that is, look, if we're being honest, we're a perennial loser. We've had a couple of years here and there, but we're a perennial loser. We have done this. We, we've all done it because we've, I mean, I've gone to the games. I've, I've donated. I've done, I've supported. You've done it. The community has done it. The community, the university, the football staff, the football program. We've done it together, and it, it is remarkable. Three years, man. It's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's definitely, you know, like you said, Josh, being, being somebody that's been around the program and, you know, followed this team for, God, years, um, as long as I can remember for sure, uh, to, to see just what's happened, like you said, in just three years. It's, yeah, and Matt, it's remarkable. I, I, would say, I would say this on that note. When people, you know, even 10 years ago, when people would look at me side-eyed and say, you don't like LSU, you're not an LSU fan, why not? Why not? I would always say this. I'm here for the come-up. I'm going to be here to enjoy the 2020 because 2010 wasn't so sweet. I don't care what you – unless you go to LSU and you're a student and you have something that's – I mean, like if your parents are alum or something like that, that's a different deal. I'm from Lafayette. This school educated me and this town raised me. I was always going to be here for the come up and I knew it was going to happen. I didn't know when, but I knew we had the ingredients. And now that I'm, I, I can't tell you how sweet it is. This feeling, this, uh, this ride has been incredible. I could have never experienced this at, at an LSU. Yeah. It could have never happened. You know, you know, I, I've, I've said this before to, to people just like that. People that are, that are diehard LSU people, well, not diehard, but people that are LSU fans asking me why I can't support both. And, and, you know, it's kind of the same reason. But what I always tell them at the end is like, hey, you know, you, you don't support UL right now. That's fine. But in five years, don't ask to jump on the train. Well, when you when you do jump on the train, that's just fine. Just open that wallet and keep that mouth shut. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, and it, 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 it's like you guys said. I mean, for the longest time, we've dealt with so much disappointment. I mean, they, they, I mean, I don't know if if uh, if, if the the if any health organization should literally come up with a real thing like Cajun disaster syndrome, because it is real. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I, I, again, you know, Josh, you talked about living through 2010 to enjoy 2020 again. And I brought this up numerous times, but you know, if we went on Saturday, I mean, it would be like going back to 2000 when we were one and 10 to a 10 and one record in 2020. And, and it, it's, it's one of those things where, 
you know, again, you look back at times where we didn't have an indoor facility. We didn't have a beautiful athletic performance center. We weren't able to pay our coaches a million dollars a year. Uh, we didn't have the resources to the extent I was talking to somebody last night and you know, where Monroe is right now, ULM, where they are right now as a football program, we were there a short time ago. We were in their position. We didn't have the money. We were losing. We couldn't find a way to get out of the dungeon. And yet we did. We found a way to show commitment. We found a way for our local people to stand up and, like you said, open the wallet and donate and say, hey, look, we're, we're, we're starting from scratch. We're, we're rebuilding, but we need your help. And, and we've gotten there. We're there. Um, now it's a matter of maintaining that. And, and not only, you know, I, I don't want to be a one-year wonder. I don't want this year to be the one year where we're ranked. I want this to be consistent. I want to keep climbing the mountain, right? Keep growing. Sure. And, and well, I would, so, say, I would say that Billy did it right. I mean, the bulk of his classes are high school. Uh, we've got a nutrition program that is second to none in the nation, and that's true. We have, you know, thanks to HUD, he fought for our, our training facilities and our weight rooms, and we've got the facilities. Now, look, we, we're missing the gym, okay? We're missing the gym of it all, the, the, uh, the, the great stadium. Now, we need that. That's got to happen. If we want to maintain what we have, we've got to do that. That's number one on the priority list for football. Everything else is in place. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think, I think now, um, you know, this, now is the time to rebuild. And, 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 of course, you know, I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring at a time like this. You know, we're living in the middle of COVID. We've got all kinds of different rule changes with, with society in general. Um, but if, you know, of course they released the vaccine last week or two weeks ago, which is great. If by, if by hopefully the end of spring, if things start to track back to a sense of normality, and I'm talking normal pre COVID, obviously it's never going to be the same, but to a sense where people can go out and the rules are a little more loose because of whether it's immunity or the vaccine really being effective amongst a totally great amount of people where we're allowed to go to games, where, where, where stadium capacity can be greater than just like 25%. If we can get back to a huge sense of normality come next football season, which knock on wood, I'm optimistic we can, dude, there's no reason why Cajun Field should be the place to be come, come September of 2021. There's no reason. Um, and with, with, with the excitement, with Billy coming back, with the excitement of raging Cajun football, um, I would hope that come 2021, if things start to track back to normal, we should be packing that stadium up without without hesitation. All no I'm, question. All, all, I expect it. All I'm now. Good. Go go ahead, Matt. Oh, well, I was going to say that Lafayette will be the place to be, and I expect to pack Cajun Field. But Conway, on the other hand, if the janitor calls in and says he's got a cough, they're going to shut the entire city down. So. <laughs> might be a little more difficult for the throwing, old beach throwing, chicken throwing shots already I was just going to say that I can tell you where I'm spending my Labor Day in 2021 oh I know I'm spending mine are we going or what I'm, I'm going to be down in Austin Texas are we absolutely going? are we going Shit. Raging, Raging Review road trip I'm down there's no. absolutely no way I'm missing that game because it's going to be the greatest it's going to be the marquee game it'll be it'll be the most recognizable victory in the history of our our programs to this point. But think about it this way, guys. Going into the game, going into the game, you've got a, a Texas program that, look, Tom Herman, like it or not, he's on the hot seat right now. And they're, retain, and they're retaining him for another year. So they're giving him one more shot. The pressure's on him. Then you got Sam Mellinger, which I'm guessing, I don't know if you two guys see it, but I'm guessing he's going to go to the NFL draft. I think he's done. Right? I would assume he's going to go. 
I don't think he'll be back next year. So they've got a new quarterback. Then you've got our team that is going to build off of this season. Now, granted, I do think there are a few skilled players we might lose this year that we'll need back, but we've got the depth and we've got the experience to really go toe-to-toe with them. And it's the first game of the season. We're going to be going in with a lot of momentum. We're going to be going in with a lot of excitement. And the Texas Longhorns are going to have their backs against the wall because their coach is going to feel the pressure of his job. They're going to have a new quarterback. They're going to have some new starters and some new players. This is a ripe, 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 ripe time for a, a win in Austin. I'm not joking about that. I never thought I would say something like this as a Cajuns fan, but that, that game is ripe for the picking for a solid upset against the Texas Longhorns. Well, I think we're going to win the game. And look, Mississippi State, two years ago, I told y'all where we're going to win that game. We came up just short. Iowa State, I told y'all where we're going to win that game. We pulled it off, and we did it. The game wasn't in doubt into the halfway through the fourth quarter. We're going to win Texas. We're going to win at Texas. That's happening. Yeah, wow. I, I, I agree. I, I, think, I can get on board with that. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Josh. I think that this is, this is the team. This is the time. And like I said, don't jump on the don't jump on the wagon in five years when we're consistently top twenty in the country. Yeah, I'm good with them jumping on the wagon. I just want to see I want to see donations and less talk. That's what I want to see. Well, I think I think one thing this season has done is that it's opened eyes to people around the state. You know, regardless of what they say. I mean, look, when I'm on a message board or an LSU message board, and and some of their fans who are diehards are even saying to the extent that we could go toe-to-toe with the LSU Tigers. I mean, that's a huge compliment. I mean, Dude, their head football coach voted us the 10th best team in America. So there you go. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's amazing. And, and so that, that look, when you can change an LSU fan's mind, and, and, and some of them will specifically, especially the ones I've talked to who are graduates, who are diehards, and they've told me on the phone, dude, if we play like we did this year, you guys would beat us. I mean, like, you pinch me. Somebody pinch me. Like, that's not something you hear. That's not something that people say as a joke, you know? And so, I mean, at one point we were talking about, you know, they would joke about, we'll score a touchdown against us. Now they're saying, well, you could possibly beat us. I mean, I'm like, what? You know what I mean, that, that, when you change that perception, when you change that perception, recruits, they see it. Coaches see it. People see it. I mean, we have to capitalize on this. We have to build on this. And I know the administration is, they're very focused on doing just that. And, and of course, as always, to the, to the fans out there listening, donate. Give to the program. Look, we tweeted out yesterday about committing to the culture. Billy Napier committed to the culture. He turned down the Auburn job because he's committed to the culture. Now we need to pay it forward. Now he's asking us to pay it forward. We need to commit to the culture as well. Yeah, no, no, no question about it. Transitioning Agreed. now into some some G five bowl news. Um, well, I mean, they're not really a G five; they're an independent. But let's talk about Army for a second. You know, I I, I get it, it's no secret that there's a P five bias in just about every bowl game situation. Um, and I understand that there was no win requirement to get into a bowl game. And these bowl games felt like they needed to fulfill their contractual obligations with the conference. I understand that as well. However, if there is a team that goes nine and two, at one point we're ranked in the top 25. 
and their bowl game that they had already accepted a bid to gets canceled. And you can't find them a replacement spot? Shame on you. It is a shame. It's a shame when you've got six, what was it? There's six SEC SEC teams teams, bum-ass SEC teams this year going to bowl games. Two and eight South Carolina with a fired coach and a team that barely wants to play anymore. But you can't find a place for Army. And Jeff Mockin's been winning at uh, at Army for a long time. This is not a one-hit wonder. This is, like you said, they they spent some time in the the top 25 this year. They are a commodity. Uh, it's re- they have a following. I mean, the nation watches their game. It's it's absurd that they could not find a game, but they had to fill Tennessee pulling out of a slot. I mean, how, the symbol, the symbolic nature of that entire event. And I got to give some credit to Bill Conley, ESPN writer. He went on a fine bomb. I think it was yesterday, and he absolutely ripped the SEC and said that the SEC was a bad league this year, which it was. I mean, at the very top, you have your, your brand names, but everybody else is bad. And he just, he, he took the lashings. And Feinbaum did his whole, you know, protect the brand thing. But uh, Bill Connolly was 100% right. And Army, a, a team like Army, a team that has national following, a team that represents a lot more than just a football program, has to scratch and claw and basically beg to play football one more time this year. It's an absolute disgrace. It shows how disgusting college football is from a business standpoint at the top level. It's not about the, the kids. It's not about the, the game, the integrity. It's about the money, and we all know it. Oh, well, man. I'm go, go ahead, Matt. No, you got it. Well, I was going to say, I'm glad they found a spot. I'm glad. Look, I want to, I mean, I'm, I'm very thankful the Liberty Bowl uh, was able to fill in that slot. Now, granted, it was because I know Tennessee had COVID issues, but the fact that they were able to find a spot. Allegedly. Well, the fact that they were able to find a spot was great. But at the same time, like you said, Josh, I think it's pretty sad that a team like Army that has a national following, that has national respect, a team that has grinded their way to this point, the fact that they were left out because they couldn't find the bowl slot, I just don't think – I mean, that wasn't fair. That wasn't cool. Um, I'm glad that they worked out their, their – they worked out the kinks to get them in. I'm glad the fact that they now have a, bowl, a good, decent bowl game in the Liberty Bowl. But at the same time, um, it's just it's a shame that for a day or two that they were left out. Um, you know, when you look at teams that are, you know, not to pick on anybody, but you got a two and eighteen playing in a bowl game this year, uh, a two and eighteen that fired their coach that, that went two and eight, and they got in in no time. Meanwhile, you got Army that was ranked in the top twenty-five at one point, and <laughs> they couldn't find an opponent for them. I mean, come on, that's not no, that wasn't cool, but. I'm relieved that they found something because I'm telling you, if they wouldn't have, then that would have been even 10 times worse. But the fact that they got put in this position is, is bad in itself. And it just goes to show you that sense of bias that's there for uh, whether it's P5, G5. The fact that you let a P5 school in that went two and eight over a team that's nine and three and has a much bigger following than that other program. It's, it was a travesty of what happened to them, but I'm glad, I'm glad they figured it out. And I'm glad that Army. Uh, can still play in a bowl game. They deserve it. I would love to ask Brian Maggard uh, why we didn't fill that slot. I'm assuming it has something to do with contracts, and I'm also assuming that we had already committed to Liberty, I'm sorry, to First Responder Bowl, uh, and there was really no way to pull out at that point. It's got to have something to do with that, but I would have loved to play that game. It would have been an honor to play that team. 
I know Billy has an affinity for all of our military. Uh, it, it is kind of a shame that we weren't able to do that. Uh, although there are some positives about our bowl game, I know you guys talked about it, but I, I would have loved to do that. I, I just it looked like a great opportunity when it was presented, and uh, I, I did try to ask Doc, but I didn't get a I didn't get a response. But it would be interesting to see what the actual answer is. Which, yeah. which bowl? Are you, you're talking about the Independence Bowl. The Indi- was, uh, no, I think they were going to play in the Independence Bowl. It got canceled, and then I'm talking about the slot where. Uh, yeah, that's what it was. That's correct, Matt. I'm sorry. I'm saying that wrong. Why were we able to play in the Independence Bowl against Army when their opponent backed out? Right. Cause, yeah. Well, you see, their their opponent was UTSA. That is true. And I think it was SMU. Was it SMU that... Uh... Yes, originally. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, my question was, why didn't we just try to fill Army into our... Or why didn't we try to play in the Independence Bowl rather than the first responder. Just curious. I don't want to, maybe it was a payout issue. Maybe the exposure wasn't as good as it could have been, but I mean, it's a P5 opponent. And like I said, they have a national following. I mean, to me, uh, you get more eyes on it, but you know, the way that the AD sees the bowl situation and the way fans see it is a hundred percent different. So like I said, I just think it would be an interesting conversation to have with Brian about how it went down and why we ended up not being able to play army. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Army will play West Virginia in the Liberty Bowl. Um, it, while we're on the subject of Army, I just read something that's quite interesting. The Army-Navy game next year was originally scheduled for October 2nd. The universities have announced that they will move the game to September 11th in honor of the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. Wow. I love that. So awesome. if, uh, if fans can be in attendance, that'll be a, that'll be a fun one. For sure. I mean, our Army Navy always is, you know, a, a, a great game for the country. But yeah, that that would there would definitely be some some emotions pouring out if uh, if fans could be in attendance for that one. Agreed. Yeah. Now, guys, you know, let let's transition to what we've been wanting to talk about for the last forty minutes now, um, and that is Coastal Carolina. Uh, because, well, for starters, they suck. But, you know, the the thing the thing that, that bugs me is is the arrogance that has alluded that has come out of that program from their first tiny little piece of success. Let me give you some context on that. It is their fourth year in the FBS. Their previous three seasons, these were their records. Three and nine. Five and seven, five and seven. You go eleven and zero, one year. Which don't get me wrong, giving them their credit, it was a great year. They had some great wins. They beat us. They beat BYU. They beat App. They had some good wins. But you you get you get your first little taste of success. The media starts talking about you. All this stuff, and suddenly, according to your head coach, you're the best team in South Carolina. What? I'm going to let Jerry go first because I have I have to calm down. Um, Josh, I'm going to let you calm. Yeah, I'm going to definitely let you calm down and, and, and contain yourself. But get, uh, while I talk, get your thoughts together because, uh, look, I'm just going to put this in context. Okay, let's break it down. All right, let's break it down. Let's go back about two weeks. 
going into the Troy game. Jamie Chadwell openly criticized the fact that the Sun Belt couldn't cancel the game against Troy while Troy was trying to play for a bull bird. So Troy needed the game. Look, we, 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 it's a conference game. There were two or three games, or actually multiple games, that the conference had to reschedule around the conference, not just, not just that one. We had to reschedule our App State game and go up on December 4th in the ice cold rain in Boone, a place where we've never won before, and we took care of business. All right? So he complained about the Troy game. Almost lost the game, but Troy needed to get into a bowl, so of course they're playing hard. And then after the game, he complains about us getting a bye. Well, it's not fair that we couldn't get a bye and Louisiana got a bye. This is after the fact that, look, we all agreed. We all made a deal. Look, you play the season, you try to make up the games, and play the game. I understand we got a little bit of an advantage, but that's what, that's what we signed up for. So you got that. Follow that up with the fact that all week long because of that, he was running around saying that they were the underdog against us, when in reality, we had to go to their place and beat them on their field. Okay? We're the ones that had to travel. Now, after the fact that we traveled, they ended up that Thursday night at 10.30, we had to find out that the game got canceled, or the championship game got canceled, because one of their coaches contracted uh, COVID. Allegedly. Understandable. Allegedly, which is understandable. But what makes it worse about that is Okay, if that's the case, look, we've seen that all over the country this football season where games get canceled, things get pushed back, all of that. The problem that it started with me personally was the fact that, first of all, in order to determine the conference champion, you play the conference championship game. This isn't like pre-2018 where in the conference, the best record wins the conference. That's not, how the, that's not what the Sun Belt did. That's not, that's not how the rules work. You don't just make up your own rules as you go along, especially after you're the team that can't follow COVID protocol, that canceled the game after our team had traveled to your place. And that's your team is at the team hotel and come and finds out at 10 o'clock at night that the game is... Their fans are running around and their people are running around claiming to, claiming to be this, this, this sense of undisputed champions when in reality, the rules are, in order to be champions, you have to play the championship game. A game that which we couldn't play because your team couldn't follow protocol. So, because the argument is, well, the college football playoff says that we will be recognized as the Sun Belt champion. Well, yeah, because we couldn't play the game, so we couldn't jump in the rankings. You were ranked ahead of us by default. They gave you that by default for the G5 spot because we can't jump rankings because we can't play the game. Let me ask you a quick question. Let me ask you a quick question. Just, Just say yes or no. Keith Gill knew that the college football playoff would make the undefeated Chanticleers the de facto Sun Belt champion before he canceled the game. Of course. Of course he knew that. Okay. Please continue. Okay. So from there, their their fans and them are running around claiming all these things, which, by the way, I'm I'm not (laughs) – I'm more surprised that Coastal has this many fans from what I've seen on, on Twitter because I watched their games even before COVID, and they didn't have many people at their games. I, I'm, I guess they, they stay at home and go on Twitter and trash talk rather than actually attending their games. Um, they stay in the trailer park and get drunk so they can't get there. That's the problem. Well, they do something. They do something where they don't go to the games because I'm seeing a lot more reaction on Twitter from the fans. And when I look, like even the game we played them in last year, there was nobody there. 
even a baseball team who I'll compliment them have a national has a national championship only average like fifteen hundred people a game. And I'm like, well, wait a second. If I'm seeing all you have a national championship, that's all you bring to your game. And so after all this happens, after all of this happens, they're running around talking trash. Then they get <laughs> they get sent to the cure bowl. And then Jamie Cadwell is on it, it tells the media the other day or just yesterday that the best team in South Carolina didn't make the playoffs. Like, wait a second, I'm sorry. Isn't Clemson right down the road from you? A team that has won multiple national titles, have played in multiple playoff berths in the past five or six years, right down the road from you in the same state as you. And you're saying that you're the best team? Like, I mean, I, you've had one year of success. One year of success in the FBS level. And all of a sudden, you're, you're God's gift to football. Like, slow your roll a little bit. Show some humility, okay? Like, look, we've had a successful year this year. Our fans, you know, we're a little arrogant sometimes, but we're not, we're not, we're not mean about it, you know. And, and and the difference for us is that, you know, we have respect for other programs. Like, yes, we and App State go back and forth. But one thing I've seen, I'll put it to you like this: this is what this is what will sum it up for this entire argument or this entire topic. When App State and Georgia Southern fans unite to get on Coastal's fan base and Coastal, we have a problem. That's all I'm going to say. When Georgia Southern and App State, who are probably the biggest rivalry in the conference, are uniting together and taking up for each other against Coastal and their fan base, there's something wrong there. And that's my two cents. It's one of the biggest rivalries in the G5, maybe in the country, honestly. I mean, they hate each other. Like, they hate each other on a personal level. Picture, Picture Auburn and Alabama fans uniting to get on another fan base. Think about that. That's that's yeah. what you're seeing with George. I mean, what Coastal and their fan base must have really they 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 they, they messed up so much to let that happen. Oh yeah. wait, you, you are you guys ready for it to get better? So yesterday was the Myrtle Beach Bowl at Brooks yeah. Stadium on the campus of yeah. Coastal Carolina. Which, by the way, congrats to App State on their big win. Absolutely, fifty-six to twenty-eight ass kicking well in North Texas. Yes, well um, done, Mountaineers. So, like, like I said, Myrtle Beach Bowl on the Coastal Carolina campus, blah, 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 whatever. Who happens to show up to the ball game? The Coastal the Carolina football team. And apparently, from multiple tweets that I read, they were walking around the stadium trash-talking about how they were, you know, God's gift to creation. And apparently none of the players were wearing a mask either. But you know, we, we can't but we can't play a conference championship game because of COVID, right? No, I did see I did see some players wearing a mask. I'm not sure all of them were though. Um to their defense. I don't want to take up them, but I think I saw a few on TV wearing some. But it doesn't change the fact that if they're going around trash talking people, then they just sit there and watch the game. Just watch the game. Don't just enjoy the game. Why are you trash talking people? And here's here's the other thing that pisses me off. You had one coach allegedly test positive, okay? Ohio State had Ohio State was without twenty two players in their Big Ten championship game. Still wrecked. Shop. Actually, it was twenty five. It was twenty five. Twenty five. Yeah, and still and still wrecked shop. Yes. Yep. All of those things are true. Here, here's what, here's what. There, there's a couple scenarios that have run through my head that that should have happened. And number one, the the biggest one, 
Okay, yeah. Say say the defensive line coach did test positive. Okay. Retest. Test the players. Retest. Yeah, if the players test negative and the coach is the only one that tests positive, he stays home. You play a football game. Especially after I've seen flu up there. Number two. That's what gets num- number number two. And and this one I love, but it would never happen. So clearly, defensive line coach. Well, I say clearly, more than likely, defensive line coach tests positive because of his inability to follow a protocol. Okay. So if I'm Keith, if I'm Keith Gill, if I'm the Sunbelt commissioner, the way I would have handled it is quite simple. You failed to follow rules. Your punishment is forfeit the football game. Louisiana's the conference champ. I mean, even in that scenario, though, it really hurts both of us. But I hear you. I hear you. I mean, I mean, it it it, it hurts us also. Yes, I agree. But at the same time they're getting rewarded for their incompetence. Well, they got rewarded for corruption, but I'm going to wait for my cue because I got to put it all together. No, go for it. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Floor is yours. Okay. Let me say this on this topic before I forget. This is not over. Okay. Your boy here is very petty. I'm especially petty when I get screwed over by an inept commissioner who should never be commissioner of any, uh, uh, anything at all. He shouldn't be a general manager at a Wendy, which by the way, we were supposed to play at, but they backed out of that too. But there is some, we'll call it digging going on. Um, I'll leave it at that. There's Josh, some digging going on. Josh, we're going to try to find out being, exactly what happened. Are you being extra petty? Oh man. The level of petty is going to be, it's going to reek going to fill up an entire arena. It's going to be so stinky. The stinky petty. Are, are you doing some, are we, are we hearing some investigative journalism, Josh? Well, I'm not going to say much more than what I just said. I've already said too much. Fair enough. Fair enough. So that, um, but I'm going to, I'm going to give you guys some, some responsibility to rein me in. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do COVID. Then I'm going to do the Sun Belt. Excuse me. I'm going to do COVID. Then I'm going to do Coastal. And then I'll do the Sun Belt. That's how I'll do it. So I can kind of keep my thoughts in the box. Here we go. Sean Payton tests positive for COVID. Misses how long? Three days? Six days? What was it? Do you remember? Uh, what, Billy? Sean Payton. Sean Payton. Uh, he, he, didn't know. he didn't miss his game. He coached his game. Ooh, I don't think so. I don't oh, yeah. think that, no. Sean no, Payton, I, I, I remember. Payton. I remember what happened. I remember what happened. He tested positive on a bye week. That's what I Okay, that's what it was. Okay, so bad example. Uh, Nick Saban tests positive. Three days later, he's coaching on the sideline. This happened a couple other times. I thought it was Sean Payton. It's someone else. The head coach of the football team. You want to talk to me about a position group? The head coach of the football team tested positive in the same week that he coached his team. Ohio State, 22, no 25 players. The week of conference championship week, they played their game. I want to know how it's possible. Okay. And look, the COVID test came back. I got this from somebody on the inside. The COVID test came back Wednesday afternoon. All clear. All clear. They got an all clear Thursday before they left Lafayette. 
all clear. At 10.30, they canceled the football game. 10.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. How is it that you get an all clear two days in a row? These people have the possession of the 15-minute rapid test. How is it that they they got a positive test at 10.30 at night? Number one, if he did test positive that day, he should have been positive, or he, excuse me, he should have been tested uh, with the, the swab test sent off. It takes 24 hours now, I think it is. They could have postponed the game to Sunday. It still would have been a 24-hour period. So anybody wants to talk to me about the, the college football playoff was that afternoon or whatever, we could have been playing while they were doing the show. By the time they wrap it up, we have a result. There, there could have been something done. You cannot tell me that there were no avenues. There were no options. It's impossible. I will never believe that, first of all. Second of all, one position, one position coach test positive. The entire position group was exposed to him that day. How are football activities still going on at, at Coastal Carolina? How is that possible? You're supposed to pause uh, any, any, anything. Anybody test positive, you pause an activity. Why did that? Why did that not occur? No, they didn't pause activities. Instead, they showed up to App State's game and and spit and hugged all over each other in the in the in the stand so they can get on ESPN. Then you had Chadwell doing the damn eulogy uh, in front of the, the the ESPN reporter McGee, who absolutely loves him so much he can't he can't stop sucking him off during the telecast. It's embarrassing. So that went on. All these positive COVID tests. It's such a disaster. We can't play a football game, but we can go show our ass on uh, national TV while App State plays. Incredible. So then we'll move on to Coastal. Jamie Chadwell did all the things that Jerry said leading up to the game. Okay, He even mentioned injuries. He went into depth of why it was a competitive advantage for the, for the Cajuns. What he didn't say was that they agreed to the schedule change that would have put them at a disadvantage later in the season. And it was likely that they were going to be playing us anyway. So that is on Coach Chadwell. That's not on anybody else. And then he made a comment appealing to Keith, Keith Gill about doing something about the fact that there was going to be a bye and they had to play. They should have lost to Troy. What person in their right mind would think that this had absolutely no way, there was no way this could have been a, a collusion or a conspiracy? Of course there could be. There's nobody that can tell me that all that bitching he did leading up to that game didn't play into the fact that Keith Gill is so inept, so incompetent, so stupid, so lazy, that he didn't think to himself, you know, I can get this game postponed. Coastal is 11-0. They're national darling. Everything will be fine. If Cincinnati loses, we're in. I know that's what happened. Nobody can tell me different. It's exactly what happened in the AAC when Oresco allowed the Cincinnati-Tulsa season finale to be canceled. That had nothing to do with COVID, guys. That was two opportunities for their marquee team to lose. If Cincinnati loses, the Sun Belt is on their heels. That is a difference between millions of dollars, millions of dollars in promotion. I mean, years of staying power. That's what happened. Nobody can change my mind on that. There is not a single person in the Sun Belt office that did anything to promote the Sun Belt teams until the fan bases of Coastal, App State, Georgia Southern, and Louisiana went on Twitter, Facebook, and bombarded them, inundated them with, where are you? What are y'all doing to promote? 
what are you doing? We did that for two weeks. And finally, a, a couple of days before they canceled the game, finally, they started putting out these little, I mean, they were half-assed promotions, but at least something happened. He no didn't way. go in public. He didn't go in public. Not he still didn't say a thing. Not to interrupt you, Josh, and I'm a, I don't want to, I don't want to hurt your train of thought, but then what to make matters worse, their promotion, they got the countdown to kickoff wrong. Yeah, got the countdown to kickoff wrong. They also called us an A5. And we know what that means. We know what A5 is. But when you're talking to the, the public at large, the general football fan, they don't know what the hell you're talking about. He also called I mean, the Sun Belt a subdivision. He called him a subdivision. Again, he's not technically wrong, but what regular football fan calls the conference a subdivision, man? I mean, it's just a joke. He is he's a jo- he's a clown. It's it's I don't know how the guy got the job. I don't know who the candidates were up against him. But I mean, my God, I, I think my dog Juniper could have done better than this guy. He, he, he has hid under his desk for a month while Coastal Carolina was ru- running up the charts, Louisiana going up the charts. I mean, what the hell did this guy do? He, he screwed App State out of an opportunity last year. And I remember App State fans getting upset about it. And, uh, you know, we probably should have listened to him then. But, it, but it's, it's just mind-numbing. The things that this guy has not done. This is an op- this opportunity in 2020 is a once in a lifetime opportunity, and that's not hyperbole. I mean, in in our lives, in in well, in the history of the country, nothing like this has ever happened. We benefited the most from it, and we did all these great things. And at the culmination of it all, you cancel the game, you cancel our day in the sun, and it's not just because I'm a Louisiana fan. Of course, it it means more to us because we're in the game. But if App State was in the game against Coastal, I would have been furious. This was your opportunity to flip perception, your, your opportunity to be the game. I mean, dude, 2.30 ESPN for the world to see, and you let it get canceled? You don't even try to fight for the game? That is a complete and total failure from the top down. Sunbelt offices, all of their promotion, all of their marketing, Keith Gill in particular, and, and look, you can tell me that Keith Gill didn't do the social media stuff and he's not in, in, uh, involved in the smaller parts of this. It does not matter. The buck stops with Keith Gill. Keith Gill is in that. Keith Gill needs to be replaced immediately. Immediately. And by the way, speaking of Keith Gill, he's supposed to be a basketball commissioner. Have you seen what Sunbelt basketball is doing early in the season? Not too good. It's not too good. So, you know, there's a lot of things on the periphery that can be said about this entire situation. And I know that Cincinnati ended up winning the game, but dude, you didn't even give your best, your best team the opportunity to shine and make a national statement where you could have had the the college football playoff committee actually be forced to have the conversation. Cincinnati or coastal Cincinnati or Louisiana, because dude, if you look at it, our best wins is in, you know, even Louisiana or coastal, both our best wins were miles better than, uh, than Cincinnati. The AAC was down this year. Cincinnati got in by default. I mean, they got on, in on perception. If, if, if Coastal goes out and beats Louisiana again, you got something. And, but he didn't even give us the opportunity. We were robbed of the opportunity. And when I say we, I mean Sunbelt Conference members. You know, they, even the, the college football playoff even said the, that Coastal didn't play the championship game, so it hurt them. And I was so happy that they said that because there needs to be a precedent set. This can never, ever happen again. Now, I hope that we get out of this shitty league for people like Keith Gill so he can stop screwing up our, our program and our upward mobility. But 
if it happens again next year with COVID and whatnot, and we're still dealing with this, it, 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 he, he's got to be, I mean, at some point, where do you start exploring lawsuits? Seriously, I mean, do you know the amount of money that that man cost us? There's got to be something, and, and I know some of these contracts are locked tight, so maybe that's not, not even an option. But we have to have a nuclear option against these people. Keith Gill is terrible. He's an awful commissioner. He, he, he couldn't run a damn fast food restaurant. And here he is making these multi-million dollar decisions. It's disgusting. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I 100% agree with you. Uh, Josh, I want to I want to backtrack a little bit, though. Um, you said the Juniper could do a better job as commissioner. I'm down for that. Well, she would definitely be better looking. I can tell you that. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd be hashtag Juni for commission. I'm down with that. You know, commission. And, and, and I've had the chance to meet Keith Gill. Real nice, upstanding guy. You know, he's professional. He, you know, he's oh, had he, experience. He 100% but, but, is. 100%. He's a, yeah, hey Jerry, Jerry, I met OJ Simpson. I met OJ Simpson. He was a nice, upstanding guy too. But here's, here's what. But here's look again. Keith Gill is a. Well, I've met him. He's a nice guy. He's professional, upstanding guy. But the problem is that I have is the fact that, with in spite of all that, your job. I mean, Mike Oresco was in numerous articles last week talking about promoting AAC. Talking about he. I mean, he was the one that came up. He was the one that brought up the conversation of bringing back the BCS formula and combining it with the playoffs, college football playoff formula. I mean, that was Mike Oresco's idea, the commissioner of the AAC. And as, so when you have should. quotes like that and things like that that come from the commissioner of the AAC, Keith Gill is a smart enough man to be able to say something like that. You know I mean? who? I mean, who? Barely not. This idea of we don't want to step on anybody's toes. Look, when you promote your conference, you got to step on some toes, especially when you're a G5. You know, what, what is at the heart of promotion? Think about what I'm saying. What is at the heart of promotion? It's taking you, yourself, your brand, whatever you represent, and putting it above others. That's what promotion is. You can't be worried about stepping on toes in a promotional situation. I can't promote my product if I don't shit on other products. I mean, I mean, it's by default. It's by default. That's what, that's what happens. That was, that's what promotion is. Yeah, we, we just, this conference just doesn't have, I mean, look, this conference has very little room to be careful, quote unquote. And it's kind of like the same thing last year, whenever we talked about, you just mentioned Appalachian State. I mean, look, their fans, their fans are still upset about that. I mean, for people who don't know, Appalachian State was the first consistent top 25 team in Sunbelt Conference history. You know, they were 11 and one, they are the 12 and one, they were 12 and one, they beat Louisiana and the the conference championship game, uh, who of course we were a double digit win team as well. Uh, they finished, I think in the, somewhere in the teens, 17, 18 in the rankings. And they had their opportunity to go play in the belt bowl, which was an hour and a half down the road from Boone, North Carolina, down in Charlotte, where they could have brought 30,000 fans with ease down there. And, you know, the only thing that the commissioner could say was, well, we have to go by our contract. And I'm like, well, surely there's a way, surely there's some type of clause that you could say at least, try at least try because if you think about it you go to the belt bowl you play a p5 school and you you, you win and the, the bowl payout's a lot bigger for the school as well as the conference that's another thing about payout can, can, can the conference can somebody out. remind me if the first responder bowl is the sunbelt bowl no no it's not so you're telling me we breached a contract with the sunbelt that's what i'm saying uh, so how did that not ha- how did that not happen with f state well, that's my point 
Why should have made that program millions of dollars. That's my point. I mean, I mean, look, you couldn't try. You couldn't. You, you don't think the belt bowl? Look, there's no there's no question in my mind that the belt bowl that they wanted to, they could have taken App State overnight and and and, and welcomed them with open arms, knowing 100%. The, it's like the it's belt like, bowl wanted them. It's like the New Orleans Bowl not wanting Louisiana. I mean, they, New Orleans Bowl. Well, anytime we have the opportunity to go to New Orleans outside that, of being, yeah, a I was about to say the the New Orleans. I mean, the New Orleans Bowl always wants us. Always. It was created. The New Orleans Bowl was partially created because of us, because they know they can make money off of us. I mean, look at the we we, we set records every year. We win those bowls. It's not about just the teams. It's about what type of tickets they can sell. And I mean, that was easy. That was an easy. Easy, easy, easy deal. If they were, if the conference really wanted to say, "Hey, you know, we've got a team right down the road that's a top twenty-five team, and they're going to bring thirty to forty thousand fans," because you know, App State they got a loyal fan base. They were going to travel. Not, I mean, they got a big look. App State has a big fan base in Charlotte. They would have brought a ton of fans. They have no, a nice no. fan base, nice size, and they're and look, they're no. well educated. They earn well. But look, but no, we can't, two years in a row. It's, we got it's two years in a row where we have the same exact example. And we got we, contractual obligations, and they sent them to New Orleans, which, by the way, screwed us over because we had to go to Mobile on January 6th. So you lose money twofold there. And that's what I'm trying to say. Two years in a row, we've had excellent examples. If a commissioner that was competent and had a stack, he would have got us in the belt bowl for App State, and we would have been in New Orleans last year. And this switch this for this year, if he had a stack, we would have played our championship game. It would. No, by any means possible. That game has got to be played. No way in hell you don't play that game. No way. It is the marquee Sun Belt matchup in the history of the league. No way you don't play that game. I don't care what happens. I think I think what frustrates me in all of this is the fact that our team had traveled there already. We're already at the hotel in Myrtle Beach. And at least put some effort to retest. I mean, that's, that's the only – because, like, my thing is, if you retest the next day and you got until what two thirty that Saturday to say, look, if they come back with any more positives, if that was because I mean, how do we know that test wasn't a false positive? If that that's exactly positive, right. That's exactly what I was trying to say earlier. Okay, so you realize, like, my thing is, if you would have retest Friday and Saturday, and let's say the coach and maybe a few other players continued to test positive, by then you have no choice. Okay, fair enough. Then we'll, we'll go home. But they canceled the game on Thursday without even using the other options of putting those on the table. They didn't even, they didn't even approach those options. They didn't even say, or be considerate to say, Hey guys, you flew all the way up here to South Carolina. We're going to be considerate and retest. So you don't have to go home for nothing. We, you know, we, we don't, we don't need any more evidence. It is so obvious that it was done on purpose. I, I don't need to be convinced. Let me ask you another question. Why is it that the team that has more to lose always has the COVID issue? How is that possible? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I can think of one example with Trevor Lawrence and the COVID situation. But they knew they weren't going to get kicked out of that college football playoff, and they knew they were going to have an opportunity to play Notre Dame later in the season. So I had literally no examples of a team that had more to lose not having the COVID problem. Yeah. It's colluded, dude. Everybody knows it. Every anybody that's within the business of college sports knows exactly what happened. You can have these idiot fans on Twitter telling me about, oh, it's not a conspiracy, and have you never heard of a unit? It's just stupid. If you don't, if you're not 
enlightened enough to understand that dollars and cents mean more to anybody in the business than wins and losses. It's just a jackass. You don't know what you're talking about, but it's Twitter. So whatever. Well, again, I, I'm, 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 you know, I'll, I'll agree with you to the point of, I do think that, do I think that the, they purposely did it? I personally, I think, I think there was not enough effort done to get it done. And, and I, I just feel like they took ex- too much precaution to the extent where they sacrificed a lot of money that could have been made. And I just think that it was a, a move that they, they did. They, they jumped too soon. But again, it goes to show you what that proves to me is, you know, from the way the conference marketed this game, look, two weeks ago, I was on the phone with both of you going, why aren't we, why aren't we marketing this team already? I, I look at it as just straight up incompetence. I, I don't even think it was, uh, uh, there was any type of um, intent. I just think it was straight up incompetence, which is just as bad. It's the same thing. And look, maybe they didn't like, you know, grow some sort of COVID vaccine, or I'm sorry, COVID uh, uh, thing in a lab and then feed it to one of the defensive line coaches. I'm not saying that, but I'm not saying that Chadwell and Gill didn't have their fingers crossed and they didn't send the entire coaching staff to a McDonald's bathroom and tell them to look the walls. I'm not saying they didn't do that either. All right. This was not an accident. They were hoping that something like this would happen. And as soon as they got the opportunity, they took it. That's what happened. That's why they canceled the game 30 minutes after we arrived. I mean, you, you got to be kidding me. Nobody can look at the fact of what went on and not think that this was on purpose to a, to a certain degree or hoped for to a certain degree. I mean, come on. It just doesn't make sense. Well, I think I tell you this. I know Dr. Maggard on the, the other day when he was on an interview uh, specifically said when they talked to him about or asked him about, have you talked to the coastal officials? And uh, what did they say? What was their mindset of all this? And, and you know, Dr. Brian Maggard coming out saying, I'll let the uh, I'll let the, the fans decide for themselves. I'll let them create their own opinions on that. That that set a mouthful. That set a mouthful. Brian knows. Billy tweeted. Billy never tweets, you know, like messages. He just, right. you know, he builds up his team. Within five minutes of the, the, the cancellation news coming out, he had tweeted, surely you're going to reschedule this game. He knew what he was doing. That was to bring attention to the fact that they were trying to cancel that game right away. He knew what he was doing. And, and again, people within the business understand that it's about dollars and cents. They tried to position themselves for a Tulsa loss so that Coastal was a shoe-in to the New Year's Six. But that's what happened. It backfired on their asses and they're at the damn Cure Bowl. And that's hilarious. Well, I think what's upsetting to me but beyond just that, Josh, is the fact that they could have told us all of this before we got on an airplane. Because remember, traveling today in, COVID, in the COVID era is not the safest thing, right? You got to get on a plane. You got to, you know, they want to talk about safety, but yet they tell us this after we get on an airplane and we're at the team hotel ready to go. And at 1030 at night, oh, by the way, I have to, you know, the team has to get addressed saying the game is canceled. And, you know, look, we're Cajun fans. And we had to be on the short end of the stick here. So there's a lot of frustration amongst all of us. And you know what? But but at the same time, it's like I told a Coastal fan on Twitter, what if that were your team that traveled all the way to Lafayette, had a chance to prove yourself, and this happened? You wouldn't be happy either about this. And, and I'm sure they all say, well, we're, we're upset. We're upset about this too. And I'm like, okay, you're upset about this, but you're running around claiming to be undisputed conference champions. Like, That's right. And I'm glad you said that. Because not a single one of those damn players and not a single one of those damn coaches were on Twitter saying that they were gutted and that they were they were so upset that they couldn't play for a championship. None of them said that. You know who was saying that? Our guys. Our guys who sacrificed their freaking four months and worked their asses off and worked hard and did everything they could to 
follow protocols and get through a season. They had a historic season and they had their, their, their culmination taken away from them because people wanted to make money in the New Year Six Bowl. That's what happened. And that's the most, that is the, that is the worst part of this all. I'm mad. I'm a Cajuns fan. I've been involved in this for 30 years, but it's so much worse for our kids. I mean, these guys, like I said, I mean, they had to live under basically lockdown for four months so they could play their season. They did it. They sacrificed. They had to go through hell a lot of times, and they had it taken from them, and that's wrong, man. It's wrong. Yeah, I agree, and I think moving forward, um, hopefully next year things get better uh, where we can find a contingency plan. I mean, look, you look at the Big Ten. As much as their incompetence goes, they acted on the fly to make sure their five-win team got into a playoff. Well, they changed their rules the whole way. I mean, and Keith Gill couldn't retest the coach. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying, too, is, is, you know, contract or no contract, we're in an unprecedented time where, look, I mean, look at look at Army. We just talked about it. I mean, you got teams playing musical chairs in bowl games. UTSA, the team that we're facing on Saturday, was in a totally different bowl last week. And then, of course, because of SMU um, not being able to play and they opted out because of COVID issues, you know, they moved into the bowl that we're facing them in, in Dallas. So, <laughs> I mean, the idea of um, this, this, this idea of, you know, we have to follow everything according to a T, I understand that. But this is a year where you can kind of bend the rules a little bit because of the fact that that's what teams are doing. Teams are rescheduling. Teams are playing musical chairs with bowl games still up until yesterday with Army. You know, don't be surprised if they, there's a few more bowl games that get moved around. You mean to tell me we couldn't at least try with, with that retest? That, that's what bothers me about all of this is, the marketing was bad, and then they couldn't retest it, so they just said they threw their hands up in the air. After our team had traveled to Myrtle Beach and was like, well, we tried. Sorry. Got to go home. Well, wait a second. You can't, you can't give one more test? Like, you know, again, and I'll say it, I'll say it to the cows come home. If there were issues come Saturday afternoon where we had the same problems as we had Thursday night and the game had to get canceled, the game had to get canceled. But we didn't even go that far. We did not even go that far. That's what frustrates me. We just jumped the gun on it. And like you said, Josh, because of it, there was a lot of money that, that could have been possibly lost because of it. It was an opportunity of convenience. And if I wasn't clear, I'll say it one more time. Keith Gill is inept. They colluded with Coastal to get him into a New Year's Six, a New Year's Six poll. It backfired on him. And now they're paying a price where they're going to lose money rather than make money. They've done it twice, in, two times in two years that's happened. And we need new leadership. We need new leadership, period. And Coastal, man, look, I could say a whole lot more, but at the end of the day, those are a bunch of 18 to 22-year-old kids, so I'm not going to go in on the players. But the coaching staff is a disgrace. Coaching staff didn't give their kids an opportunity to play for a conference championship, and I think that's disgraceful as well. But, uh, look, we got a bowl game to look forward to, so I guess I'll set my sights on that for now. But, look, uh, we got done an injustice that can't really be overstated. It, It was bad. It was bad. Well, yeah. we'll move forward, and, and hopefully we win our bowl game Saturday, and we can just we, we learn. I guess it's a, it's a it's a situation you learn from it. You learn from it, and hopefully, uh, who, who everybody involved can can improve on that moving forward because it was from a PR standpoint all the way to just the way protocol was followed. It just it was a disaster. It, it was a disaster, and it was very disgraceful for for everybody, including Coastal, including Coastal. It was a disgrace for everybody involved, from Louisiana to the fan bases to everything it was it was a, it was a dumpster fire and they need to fix this and soon yep it, it will be forever referred to as the conway screw job um we'll take a break and when we come back to rage and review we will preview the serve pro first responder bowl 
this Saturday between the Cajuns and the Roadrunners of UTSA. We'll talk some basketball, and we'll also provide you some information via Twitter on how you can commit to the culture. Rage and Review will. Will you? We'll be back right here on Rage and Review. Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Raging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! Schilling Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Ragin' Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today. Awardmaster, located at 3219 Johnston Street, is the only award shop licensed by Louisiana Athletics. In business in Lafayette for over 45 years, Awardmaster creates one-of-a-kind trophies, medals, and awards using a wide variety of materials, including resin, glass, wood, acrylic, and more. Owners Adam and Sarah Lopez are proud UL alumni, as well as Cajun Cooking Club members. Adam and Sarah can also help with your business promotional items. Rage and Review trust Awardmasters for all of their needs, and you will too. Awardmasters is so much more than just an award shop. Give Awardmasters a call today, 337-984-1414, or go to awardmaster.com. Awardmaster, the recognition and personalization experts. PSC Supply and Hardware, locally owned since 1987, is the official hardware store of the Range and Review podcast. PSC is Louisiana's oldest dealer of Traeger grills and one of two platinum dealers in the state. PSC is your barbecue headquarters, carrying PK and Weber grills, Blackstone products, and the largest selection of barbecue seasonings in South Louisiana. Do you need propane? On sale every Saturday. What about pellets for your electric smokers? That's on sale every Saturday, too. Come see what Willie and the gang out at PSC Supply and Hardware, 1014 Albertson Parkway in Broussard, or call 337-837-2811. Check out their website, pscsupply.com. Acadiana business owners, are you looking for custom solutions from local professionals that understand your business needs? Maybe you're looking to streamline your processes, become more efficient, and achieve elevated peace of mind? Utilizing a combined 30 years of experience in the financial and technology fields, the Vaulted Security Team is ready to assist you with reaching your goals. From credit card processing, internet and phone services, website hosting and design, to hosted cloud, even digital marketing and recovery software, Vaulted Security can do it all. 
Here's a message from Solutions Specialist, Anna Bourgeois. Hi, I'm Anna Bourgeois, your Solutions Specialist, and it's my goal to understand how we can make your business run more efficiently while increasing profits. I'm very passionate about doing business genuinely. In the merchant services industry and other business areas, it's hard to find a partner that you can trust without question. I'm here to change that perception. Give me a chance to show you what true partnership is all about. Contact Anna today at 337-210-4272 or email Anna at Vaulted Security. Welcome back to Rage Interview. Matt Miguez here. Jerry Abear joins me as well. And you know, we we we've done the we've done the trash talking already. We've already, you know, we we set our two cents on the on the asterisk clears as we like to call them. Uh, you know, all all that's aside. Let's focus on the Vermilion and White. Let's focus on the Louisiana Raging Cajuns as they prepare to do battle. In the Serve Pro First Responder Bowl this Saturday in Dallas, Texas, against the Texas San Antonio Roadrunners, you know, Jerry. At, at first glance, this game doesn't look very impressive. But when when you when you break down the stats for the Roadrunners, they might actually be a good matchup. The only thing that's really that 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 has sort of put a damper on all of this is the UTSA brand. And it's not, I'm not saying that to insult UTSA or the fan base, but you're dealing with a football program that's been around for not even a decade and, um, or barely a decade. And, you know, when when that happens, um, they're still sort of new to the college football world, but they've made a name for themselves in conference USA to the extent where they've been pretty respectable. They've been competitive. Um, and the reason for that, of course, besides being in Texas, is that they they really promoted the football program, um, you know, from the time they began till now. So I, I understand the the concerns of we wanted a bigger brand name for this bowl game. But looking at their stats, looking at their record, looking at the way they've competed against certain teams, um, I, this is definitely not a game that I think the Cajuns should overlook. Um, they're going to come out and they're going to give it their all, and it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, there, there's there's no question about that. Um, you know, looking on on paper, if you if you break down their their stats, the name that sticks out to you is their running back, uh, Sincere McCormick. He's a five nine, two hundred pound sophomore from Converse, Texas, and I'm, I'm going to read you his stat line for the year. He's ran the ball two hundred and twenty six times. For 1,345 yards and 11 touchdowns. The young man man is averaging six yards a carry and about 130 a game. Yeah. You want to know you want to know how many times he's run for less than a hundred yards in a game? Four. Wow. And one of them was 98 yards. He's a stud. He's gone he's over. He's gone over one fifty, 
two, three, four, five games. With, with numbers of 150, 165, 173, 197, and 251 in their most recent game against North Texas. And to make matters well, to make matters worse as far as having to prepare is that, you know, the team as a whole has won the last four out of five games. And they've been against I mean, they've been against all Conference USA opponents. One of them includes the the juggernaut, as we call it, the juggernaut of Conference USA up in Restonia, right? Uh, the the Bulldogs of Tech. But oh, yeah, the, that, the, the, and, and what's, what, what's ironic about that game is that UTSA had to make a last-minute comeback to win that game. Um, and so I think, you know, I thought about that last night when I was reading up on UTSA, I'm like, man, you know, if we win this game, we'll beat a team that Tech couldn't beat this year. We can definitely trash talk that for the entire offseason, including if they can't beat Georgia Southern tomorrow. So that adds a little bonus for the fans who want to do some smack talking. That That's the perfect place to go um, at the fact that this team that we're facing did beat Louisiana Tech. So... Um, yeah, I mean, back to Sincere McCormick. Anytime you get 1,400 yards rushing, regardless of who you play for, regardless of who you're up against at the FBS level, um, you know, I mean, he's the fact that he's averaging 134 yards a game is something yeah, I'm sure that's Patrick impressive. Coney is definitely, definitely, definitely uh, putting some extra time in the film room preparing for him. And, you know, I, I laugh. We bring up North Texas yet again because in the first segment we talked about the absolute ass whooping that App State gave them yesterday in the first ever Myrtle Beach Bowl. I mean, four touchdowns. Yeah, well, five. I think mean, it, was, it was five. Well, Are you talking about the Sincere McCormick? I thought you were talking about. Uh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, he he. The the final score ended up being fifty six to twenty eight. In, in that ball game. And yeah, that's just, that's disturbing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah you know, like, like we said, getting back to the first responder bowl on, on paper, you know, first glance, this, this doesn't seem like an intriguing bowl, but if you look at it from, uh, you know, away from your vermilion colored glasses, if you will, it is in Dallas, Texas. It is on ABC. It is at 2.30 in the afternoon. The payout that we will receive is double what we would normally receive. And, oh, yeah, we're playing a not-so-bad opponent. Well, besides besides going to New Orleans Bowl, I think the New Orleans Bowl is the largest payout in the conference as far as conference tie-ins or for bowl games. Um, you know, we got invited to a bowl game that's not affiliated with the Sunbelt Conference. And... You get to play in Dallas, and on top of that, you get to play at prime time during the day on a Saturday. Oh, and and also not to mention a gorgeous stadium. Yeah, at Gerald Ford Stadium where SMU plays, and it's uh, it's just it's it's a it's the the bowl game itself is is a solid bowl game, um, and it's it's different. It's a bowl game we've never played in before. Uh, I think that that was the old heart of Dallas Bowl, wasn't it? Correct. Yeah. So we're playing in a bowl game we've never played in before in a place we've never played before as far as, you know, postseason play goes. And, I mean, you're playing on 
national TV on ABC at prime time on a Saturday. I mean, that's, I mean, that, that's impressive. And so, um, obviously the bowl officials must have seen something special in our program that would, to where they would offer us the invite. Now, granted, I know perception says, well, it's UTSA. I don't understand. But again, I'm not saying this to sunshine pump, but looking at their record, looking at who they've played, looking at the competition they've given, this is not a team you want to overlook. Um, and I think, I still think the Cajuns win, but at the same time, um, you know, UTSA, it's not like we're playing a team. Look, North Texas yesterday was four and five. Okay. The SEC has five or six teams with losing records going to bowl games. This team is seven and four. Uh, they have a winning record. They were fairly competitive in, in the conference. I understand that there's frustration because we beat, we beat the conference USA champion this year, but at the same time, they're not a bad team. Um, so I definitely think that we, we have to come up and show up and play and it's going to be, a, you know, we've had, I mean, this is a, what, a three week bye we've had. So we're going to be a little rusty in the first quarter, I would think naturally. So, um, and you don't want to get off to a slow start against this team. You know, again, they've won their last three. They've, um, now granted they've, they've actually had a four week bye. Um, they, their last game they played was against North Texas on November 28th. And I'm sure they're going to be a little rusty too, but I think they're also going to be pretty excited. This is their first bowl game since 2016, I believe against and the New Mexico bowl. Um, and I'm sure they're going to be fired up, ready to go. And, and you look and they're in their view. And I, it's crazy for me saying this, they're playing a ranked team. So they're going to want to go out and have something to prove against a, a ranked opponent that has, you know, has done great things this year. Of course, that's the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. But to them, they've got something to prove. So, Cajuns better show up and show out and, and get ready to play. And if they, if the Cajuns do that, I think we'll be holding up a, a trophy at the end of that, the end of those sixty minutes. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree with you on that one. Two thirty p.m. on ABC on Saturday, December the twenty sixth, for all of the bookies out there, the Cajuns are currently listed as a 14-point favorite with an over-under of 57 and a half. Mm. I can see that. Yeah, that, I mean, that, 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 sounds, that sounds about right. I, I'm, yeah. You know, I, I, was, I was thinking more of like a 34-20 type of game. So that, that's, that's right in line with what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, you know, one one thing that I also wanted to touch on when we're talking about UTSA is their defense. Um, because you know, look, looking at the stats, if I'm Billy Napier, the game plan is throw the ball. Because yeah, well, if if you look at if you look at their yards allowed, they're only giving up 152 rushing yards a game. But they're well, also the big- but they're also giving up 228 passing yards. Yeah, the, the big thing is 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 it goes back to the big game moments for the Cajuns, and that's Levi is going to have to be Levi and open up the offense to where there creates a sense of, of being dynamic. Um, because I think at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're always going to have our rushing attack. But in bigger games like this one, where it's a postseason bowl matchup, you know, you're going to have to throw the ball 
you know, the receivers are going to have to come out and do their thing, which, which now, you know, it's amazing to see how much our receivers have grown this year, especially, I mean, we have a bunch of freshmen that have really, really made names for themselves. So this is going to be, this is going to be a game where I think, you know, of course the offense revolves around the rushing attack. It revolves around the young receiving core, but of course it also revolves around number one. And that's Levi Lewis. And if Levi can come out, throw the ball pretty well, feel comfortable early on, roll out, run a little bit, do his thing, just be him. I think they should be fine. And uh, look, he did it last year against Miami, Ohio. Um, probably one of his best, if not his best game as a starter, especially in the passing avenue. I mean, he threw, I mean, it was ridiculous, his passing game last year. And uh, if you're playing a team like this in the postseason, that's where I think Levi's going to have to step up and, and throw the ball. Uh, again, I think our rushing attack is going to be our rushing attack. But yeah, a little bit of, uh, you, you kind of diversify that. <laughs> that offense, uh, we become extremely dangerous really quickly. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah, like I said, 2.30 p.m. ESPN, ABC, I'm sorry, this Saturday as the Cajuns take on the Roadrunners and the Serve Pro First Responder Bowl. Transition from football to basketball now, particularly the men's side of things. Cedric Russell leads the Cajuns in scoring again. 23 points on Saturday as the Cajuns defeated McNeese in the Cajun Dome 75-65. to They have now won six straight matchups to be 6-1. and one. Currently, number one in the Sunbelt Conference. Beautiful. And, 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 you know, I think going into the, the season when I saw the schedule, um, you know, Louisiana Tech, obviously Baylor is Baylor. Um, but when you, when you see Louisiana Tech in there, I can kind of throw a wrench into the record, but the good news is, is they've they've won the games that they're supposed to win. Um, you know, I had the chance to go to one of the games, and they they you know they they look sloppy at times, but it, it they, they're deep enough in talent to finish. And this was a good start for them because you know now conference play comes. You know, they 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 go up um, New Year's Day at home against Texas State. And, um, you know, once conference play rolls around, you know, they're going to need that. They're going to need that bench. And I think they had, you know, they had some stretches both against UNO and McNeese recently where they jumped to a big lead, but then they can't hold it or they struggle a little bit. But at the same time, they respond when it matters. And so uh, they've got the talent to get it done. Um, I think, they, you know, against McNeese, they need to improve on their free throw shooting just a little bit. But overall, uh, six and one start. I mean, what more can you say? Um, they've done a fantastic job to start the season. And um, I see a few guys like uh, Akuba, Cedric Russell, of course, Malik Wilson, uh, and a few others that have um, been able to play pretty hard and, and do pretty well. Uh, now, now we're going to conference play again. Um, this is where the challenge comes in. So it's a nice it's a nice way to get a little bit of a cushion for the record as far as being 6-1. and one. It kind of gives a little bit of a, a nice little push early on. Yeah, and a little bit of a sense of comfort there. Yeah, like you said, conference games are next. Boys get a little bit of a break before they host Texas State on New Year's Day. A uh, little weird the way the conference is, is handling things this year. Uh, it's going to be a Friday night, Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Kind of kind of weekend. Um, you know, I, I find that kind of odd. But I, I guess that's limiting, you know, outside exposure, quick travel kind of thing. 
Uh, they will play Texas State on New Year's Day at 6 p.m. and on no, on January 2nd at 4 p.m. to kick off Sun Belt Conference play. The women had a game against Louisiana Tech the other day, and I, I really thought for a while that they were going to pull it out. But then, you know, Louisiana Tech just did what they do and broke all of our hearts. Well, it's the way the ball bounces sometimes. It's the way the ball bounces sometimes. I thought they just didn't. I just thought I just thought that it was one. All it took was one or two shots that made a difference in that game. And uh, you know, the Cajuns definitely gave their all uh, going up to. I mean, look, I'm, I know we like to joke on Tech, but anytime you go on the road and play the women's team and and challenge them, you know, it's like playing our playing our team in softball. Anytime it's a challenge and you come close to winning, I'm not all about the consolation prizes, but uh, the team fought hard, especially after that letdown game against Rice uh, last week. And, um, you know, of course, that close loss to school down the down the basin. But um, it was a great effort. I think they're still trying to find their identity. I think they eventually will, especially when conference comes. But, man, that was that was a heartbreaker against against uh, up in Ruston against Te- uh, Louisiana Tech. I, I thought they almost had it, but they'll learn from it. They'll learn from it. No girl from it. No, always 68 to 65. Louisiana drops to one and four on the season. They get a break as well. New Year's Day, they will travel to San Marcos to take on Texas State. So the way they're going to do it is if the men are home, the girls are on the road. Same schedule. Correct. Just reverse. Yeah. Switch the crew on the home and away. Yeah. That's that's smart. That's easy to follow. So yeah, January 1st and 2nd, the girls will be in San Marcos to play Texas State. And then on the 8th and 9th, they will be in Little Rock to take on Arkansas Little Rock. Game times for those games with Texas State, they're both at 4 p.m. on Friday and Saturday, respectively. Cajun Nation, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Ragin' Review. Stay safe, stay well, wear a damn mask, Merry Christmas, and let's go bowling. Let's go bowling. Hopefully uh, Santa has something for us in stock on on Saturday. Yeah, no question about it. Jerry, thank you for joining me, man. Thank you uh, to Man About Town for joining us in the first segment. And we'll talk to you guys after the bowl game.